0: This is Johnny Silva. I'm the pastor at Dilly First United Methodist Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you, I hope it builds your faith, and I hope it gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. Enjoy the message. I led a funeral service for a uh, close family friend. His name was Philip Marsh, and he lived in uh, Gainesville, but Silva's Bend, which is a ranching community up there. Um, right there on the Red River. And it was definitely an eventful and full week and weekend leading up to that point. So with that, I'll kind of give you a little bit of it, just some um, tidbits of that. So on Thursday, so I had school on Thursday, and then right after that, um, Laura and I um, went up to North Texas, and we left the boys with my parents, and I think that was a, the right move to make because um, it was just a lot, it, there was a lot going on. And the more and more I think about it, the more and more I feel good about that decision um, because there was so much that went on. So we didn't make it all the way up to North Texas because that's you know, a good six hours or so. Um, so we made it all the way to, to Waco, which we were planning on doing anyway. Um, but by that time, it was probably around like eleven fifteen, So I was tired. It was it had been a long day. So we drove that amount and we were able to, to to stop there. So we stopped at a place that we were supposed to go to. And um, they had our room ready for us. And so we went up there and we opened up the door. And I took one step in. And it was ridiculously hot. Like, I mean, like I was sweating. Like I only went like one step in and it was just... It was like a, a, a sauna in there. And I don't mean that, that figuratively. I mean that literally. Laura went in there. She goes, it can't be that bad. And she goes, oh, we got to go. It's like, yes, we do. So we went downstairs. Um, we told them about the, the issue. And so they went upstairs to check on it. And they're like, okay. So I tried to see what was going on. Whoever was there before, they had put it up to 99 degrees. I'm like, who would do that? And why would they do that? And so I was like, okay, well, can we get another room? And they're like, I'm sorry, we don't have any more rooms. We're completely booked. Keep in mind, this is spring break time, right? So, and it's Waco and people are probably going to go see um, Joanna Gaines and Chip Gaines and all that sort of stuff and the silos and blah, blah, blah. Magnolia, yay. But I say all that um, because I love that, but also that's not why we were there. So I do that, and, and then we, they say we don't have anything. And there was a, a big kind of thing about us not booking through them, actually, but through like a third party, and they had to um, release it on their end, and then we had to go through this other thing to get our money back. I was like, "Oh, this is just a mess." And so that was a start of the weekend. So we do I do make some calls. It's by that time 11:40, almost 12 o'clock, and I'm making some calls around there to see if there's any place that has. A room for us and luckily there was so we go over there they have a room and we uh, just basically go into our room which was not 99 degrees and it was about 65 degrees i was like this is perfect so and then we just pretty much went right to sleep um and so i say all that because that was the beginning of it so that was thursday friday comes and we make our way to north texas and there's the the visitation so i I lead that service there and there's a lot of moving parts to that but um, it was at a funeral home and everything went pretty pretty well with that Um, the next day is saturday which is the day of the funeral which is at 2 p.m and keep that in mind 2 p.m so i do what i have to do because i i found out about this like on monday and so i was trying to uh, be in contact with the family and again, keep in mind, I'm the pastor of the family. So for all of Gainesville or for all the civil bend, I like if anything happens, like I I'm on call, if you will. So um so Laura and I have done several several weddings, um, I don't know, probably like seven or eight now, together, which has been great. And then a couple of funerals. And so now here we are. Everything is great. Everything's good. Everybody's there. The whole family's there. Because, again, this was a family friend that basically was family. And so everybody's doing their thing. Everybody has something to do. And I go into town because I have to print off the bulletins and also just kind of fix things up just a little bit on the message and that sort of thing. And so before I go, Laura's uh, cousin says, you have a low tire. I was like, oh, man. And so I, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go get it fixed because I'm going into town, so I'll go to the discount tire. Well, the discount tire is closed permanently. I was like, man, okay. So I'm going to go to Walmart because I, I can print stuff off there and I can get that taken care of too, so that's what I do. Well, the printer center is closed, and so I have to walk about, mm, I don't know, three, three quarters of a mile to the CVS right down the way and so I get everything there and so everything is is good I have it all, all ready to go I'm, I'm printing and they're like oh well this is a lot because I'm printing off a hundred bulletins because there's probably gonna be a lot of people and there was like ended up being over 200 people there and it was outside and and everything like that so all that to say it doesn't go according to plan nothing was going according to plan and then I I'm running out of time, so I don't have time to get 100 bulletins printed out, and they can only do, like, 70. So I said, okay, that's fine. And so I do that, and I pay for that, and then I go. I'm like, I really need to, to get this done. To like, well, we're doing our best, but they weren't really. I don't think that they were doing their best, but that's just me. And then so I was like, okay, I really got to go. Whatever you got, just, just give it to me, and I, I really got to go. Um, and so I did was running out of time and it, by that time it was like i don't know 140 or so and it was at two o'clock that it started so i had a race home again um speed limit of course i was uh, abiding by that and uh i raced over there to the um to the ranch house and i was getting ready doing all that stuff and then i had somebody else doing folding the bulletins and taking them to the to the church everything was good and it was again like outside and and then we finally get to the uh funeral and everything works out beautifully i'm like oh great this is great awesome but up to that point there are so many things that were going wrong and i was just like oh god please take over here because i just don't know what's going to happen so but everything went beautifully it was it was great and it was a great um homage to a, a great person and so i was very um Excited, I guess, to be a part of that and knowing full well that God was taking over because if it was up to me, it was going to be no good. So I say all of that because I caught myself many times along that time. And, and it does seem a little ridiculous, all those things kind of adding up, right? But I caught myself so many times during that um, when my patience was wearing thin. Stress was mounting up and time was of the essence. And I very, very nearly forgot that I was a Christian. Very, very nearly. Now, again, all those things, like I, uh, whenever going back to the hotel part, Laura said, I know you're stressed out right now. I'll take care of this part. I was like, Good, do that. Because I, I don't want to blow up any, anybody. I mean, I, there's a lot. There's a lot of stress going on right now. I, you know, If you can take care of that, awesome. And then it just kind of, it all worked out okay, but there were so many times where I'm like, oh, I had to take that deep breath because man, it was tough. And so I know that, that you are probably a much, much better person than me, and you regularly um, keep your cool and that you readily share your inexorbent amount of patience and kindness, and all who you encounter, you are just the nicest to them. I know that about you. You're, you're great people, and you're much better than me. But just, just on the off chance that the struggle is real for you, every now and then, as it is for me, what do we do whenever we very nearly, or even altogether, forget the fact? that we are Christian. In order to help us with this query, and and I say this because I really think that it's something that that we go through as Christians. It's hard to be a Christian sometimes, and it's hard, so hard in fact, that sometimes we kind of forget that we're Christians, and it's a lot easier not to be Christian sometimes. But so for this, we go to the very last book. We go to the book of Revelation. Notice I said Revelation. And not revelations, which some people do say. But this sermon is entitled Unchristian because sometimes we get there and it's very hard to be Christian and it's a lot easier to be unchristian. And so today we look at the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 1 through 17. Just a little bit of background about the book of Revelation is that it carries a certain weight as opposed to other books or letters of the Bible. And there are times when people are all too eager to go right to this book to explain our current circumstances. On the other side, there are others who, because of the particular stigma that it might carry, the book of Revelation altogether seems to be too much, right? Too much imagery too much talk about end times and they try to stay away from it. But what I'll say to you is this, regardless of where you fall on that, if you go to it all the time to explain the way that things are, or if you try to avoid it at all costs because it's maybe a little too close to reality, whatever you find yourself in, there is definitely some wisdom that we can glean from this, some self-examination that we can have and also some hope that we can find. So today, we turn to the section in Revelation, the Revelation of John of Patmos, where Christ addresses the seven churches. In particular, we read about the churches of Ephesus, Smyrna, and Pergamum. I know those are not ones that you normally talk about, but we're going to talk about it today. And it it begins in this particular way. This is Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. To the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patience, your patient endurance. I know that you cannot tolerate evildoers. You have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them to be false. I also know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for the sake of my name, and that you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen, Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this is to your credit. You haste the words of the Nicolo- Nicolaitans, Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Let anyone Who has an ear, listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I will give permission to eat from the tree of life that is in the paradise of God. So this is to the church in Ephesus. So the Ephesian church first receives a gentle and kind of general positive evaluation. So again, this is Christ talking to the church All of this is within the one revelation to John of Patmos. The church has worked hard and patiently, enduring persecutions and ostracism, and it is a pure church, uncorrupted by false apostles, whom it has, as it said, tested and unmasked, particularly those with the Nicolaitans. That's a hard word to say, so I'll just say them. Yeah, it's, it's just a group of people. And so the Ephesians' downfall pointed out is that they abandoned the first love that they had. They are called to remember their previous conditions and then repent and behave as they once did. And the warning for, to them is this, that if they fail to do so, Christ will come to them and blot out their community from existence regardless of its presence, of its present prominence in the culture. This suggests that the second generation Christians had developed a kind of comfortable accommodation with the pagan world that John had opposed vehemently. So this is what was written to the Ephesians. And we go to the next part, which is picked up in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of the first and the last, who was dead and come to life. I know your affliction and your poverty, even though you are rich. I know that the slander on the part of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but they but are synagogues of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer beware the devil is about to throw some of you in prison into prison so that you may be tested and for 10 days you will have affliction be faithful until death and i will give you the crown of life let anyone who has ear listen to what the spirit is saying to the churches whoever conquers will not be harmed by the second death. Again, this is to um, the church in Smyrna. This community didn't have a lot of wealthy people among it. And they've experienced persecution and apparently also the result of Jewish slander. And I'm going to go into that just a little bit. So they are not really Jews. They claim to be Jews, but they're not really Jews. And this is what, according to John, but they are a synagogue of Satan. And again, those are very harsh words. But from this is implied that there are Christians, that the Christians are the ones that are true Israel. So since Jews had a special status, exempting them from certain pagan cultic obligations, the Jewish Christians could take advantage of those benefits by claiming that they are Jews. So the possibility that some Christians will soon be in prison indicates that seriousness of this particular situation, the gravity of it. Roman prisons were used for three things. To compel obedience to a magistrate's order, to confine the accused until trial, or to detain them until execution. Those are the only three things, and these one of these three things were one of the reasons why that these people were going to be in prison. But as we read later on, Antipas had already been publicly executed and he was not alone. So this was something that they saw and that they were very fearful of. And the reward for their faithfulness here is the crown or in some cases, the wreath of life. And it's basically a metaphor for an eternal Life. They are going to be crowned or have a wreath or a laurel um, because of their faithfulness. And in verse eleven, it says the victorious, victorious Christian is promised the exemption from the second death. So again, there is a reward to their being faithful. And we end in this particular one where it talks about the church in Pergamon. and this is verses twelve through seventeen. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, These are the words of him who has a sharp two-edged sword. I know where you are living, where Satan's throne is. Yet you are holding fast to my name, and you did not deny your faith in me. Even in the days of Antipas, see, that's what I was referring to. Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you, where Satan lives. But I have a few things against you. Again, you, you don't get off scot-free. Here's a few things I have against you. You have some there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the people of Israel so that they would eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice fornication. So, You also have some who are teaching to hold to the teaching of Nicolaitans. Repent then. If not, I will come to you soon and make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To everyone who conquers, I I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give the white stone and on the white stone is written a new name that no one knows except one who receives it. So That's a lot of things, but hopefully you're able to see this pattern that's emerging. This is a a, a proclamation to this particular church. Here are the things that you're doing great. Here are the things that you're doing wrong. Repent and you'll be right. But if not, it's not going to look pretty, right? There there are good things if you do repent and you do come back to Christ. But if you keep on following along and going along this particular path, it's not going to end well for you. So Pergamum was an important center for the imperial cult. So when it talks about Satan's throne, it may be referring to this as the center of the empirical worship. Imperial, sorry. So, these particular Christians are commended for their faithfulness in the presence of persecution. However, like I said, they don't get off scot-free. However, the church is censored for tolerating some who teach of Balaam, involving the eating of sacrificed foods to idols and practicing immorality. And again, the Nicolaitans often thought to be Gnostics, were accused of teaching such practices. Obviously, you can hear that John does not think favorably of the Nicolaitans. So in any case, these particular Christians were urged to repent. Otherwise, Christ threatens to come to them in judgment. Those who conquer and promise, there is a promise of hidden manna and Jews expected God to repeat the miracle that they had in the days of whenever they were in the wilderness and there was manna raining down from heaven. Manna is therefore another metaphor for eternal life, but also we know the bread of life was Jesus Christ. I say all of these things, and it might not seem like it makes much sense at this time, but these are part of a a revelation To John of Patmos from Christ and Christ is talking about and to these particular churches and again there's a pattern that emerges here's what you're doing well here's what you need to work on so what do you do there's a call to action you need to repent and you need to repent as an entire church and there is good things that await for you if you do and if not well not so good things so what would it look like? Here, here's my question. There are seven different churches that are, that are written about and two. But what about if there was an eighth one? And what if that eighth church was this church? What would that proclamation be? What would we be doing right? What is it that, that we would be um, praised for? What are we doing right here? Maybe it would be something like we are a very welcoming church. We love people well. Maybe that would be it. Maybe we search the scripture and we have the the scripture search us and maybe try to, to put things in balance there. Having scripture lead us, having the Holy Spirit lead us in our lives. Maybe that would be the things that are going right in our lives. But again, what are those things that we would be reprimanded for? What are we doing wrong? How are we misleading those And not getting them to Christ and maybe taking them a slightly different direction. So my, I ask that because it is an important question to ask. What would Christ say about this church? And I think it is something that I don't want to answer. It's not something that, that I need, but it's something that we need to be thinking about. Because there is a purpose for this church. God has a purpose for this church. Are we living up to that? And in what ways are we living up to it? And how can we reaffirm that? And in what ways are we not living up to it? And how can we change our ways? So there is a... The question is this, like, why does it even matter? Why does it even matter that we take stock in this, that we evaluate where we are in relationship with God and how we're doing as a church? And again, the title of this particular sermon is entitled, "UnChristian." And it comes from a book that, that I read in seminary titled, with that same title, Unchristian. And it's by David Kinneman and, uh, and Gabe Lyons. In that, it points out to the kind of millennials, as we would point them out, um, how they view Christians today. And there are some things that have changed along the way, but there are some things that have stayed true. And there are six particular things. That, they are, that are lifted up. And it kind of goes into each one of those. But I'm going to start with the, the one that's last, going to the one that's first, the one that people talk about all the time. So the first one is this, or the last one if you want to look at it that. Christians are too judgmental. Again, this is a perception that Christians have from those that are outside of the church, or maybe were in the church, but are now outside the church. And this is how they perceive Christians. They're too judgmental. They're too political. They're too sheltered. They're anti-LGBTQ. And you can add those other letters uh, as well. The other thing would be we're too focused, Christians are too focused on saving people. And the last one and the one that we're going to concentrate on here, why this is so important, the word that comes to mind is hypocritical. We say one thing and we do something else. We're saying one thing and we're doing another and these outsiders, these people that are outside of the church, they are skeptical of Christians' morality and superior attitudes. And they say that Christians pretend to be something unreal, showing off the polished image, which is simply not accurate. Apparently, Christians think that church is Only a place for virtuous and morally pure people. Now again, I have a lot of um, problems with all these things and how we are not that and that we are something much, much better. But the reason it matters is this. I mean, this is what other people think of us. Why should it even matter? And here's why it matters. It's because you either are leading people toward Christ or away from Christ with your lives, with all that you say, all that you do, all the time, and so you are urged, brothers and sisters of this particular church of Christ's church. you are urged to repent of those times that you very nearly or even altogether forget what it really means to be a Christian. In doing so, you, if you do forget to be a Christian, at all times, in those times, you fuel the perception of being hypocritical among other wayward expressions of Christ followers. Now, it, it is a, a cold, hard fact that this is how the world that is outside of the church views Christians. But here's the good news. It's not too late. It's not too late and we are not too far gone, the gospel message is still very good, life-changing, and hope-filled. This is merely an evaluation of where you are, where this church, this Methodist church in Dilley currently is, and what the needs are, and where we can impact the community in which we serve, how we can get back on track, to following in the footsteps of Christ. Wherever that leads us, I'm going to tell you where it starts. It starts with repentance. Taking stock of where we are honestly, as an individual, as a community of of believers, where are we really? And only then can we fully take everything to God, lay it at God's feet and say, God, help us. Help us be better. Help us live to, up to that name of Christian. Now, this brings us back to, to the service that I did last weekend for Philip Marsh. And he was an exceptional person. And he was a Christian through and through. And he was my first experience at a true cowboy. He was a cattleman, as they said. So he did all sorts of things. And that was part of his identity. But what was even more of his identity was that he was a Christian. And even more so, he did things that nobody else wanted to do, that nobody asked him to do, but he did it because he knew it was the right thing. And I heard story after story after story of how, much of a given giving person a generous person that he was he gave of his time he was a busy busy person but he spent time with every single person and he made them feel important now again I am far from a cowboy and he was the epitome of what a cowboy was but he made me feel special like I had something to offer and he did that with everybody and so the thing that I go back to Is this our lives what we say what we do they reflect our beliefs now what it says from others perspective is maybe maybe we follow Christ but maybe not all the time so how can we switch that how can we repent and how can we be a better Christian how can we be a better church And how we move forward as a Christian is to reclaim the identity as Christian, as Christ followers. And it starts with the acknowledgement of our sin before God and one another, and then repentance. And then it continues step-by-step, falling step-by-step with Christ as the head of our body of believers. I know that if we are honest with ourselves, there are times where it's very difficult to be Christian. And sometimes where we almost, or maybe even altogether, fall short and we forget that we're Christian. So I've kind of expressed that to you, your your pastor, the person that is in your community of believers. I am far from perfect, but that's the first step in repentance is saying I'm not perfect. I need God in my life and I need God now in every single facet of my life. And I know that this is what everybody can do and should do as we're called to do, is repent so that we can be in a right relationship with God and that we can live up to that name of Christian. I hope in my prayer is that the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us through Scripture into a better life with Christ, following every step of the way and leading others toward God. May it be so. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. There's a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. And please share this message with friends and family to help us spread the gospel message. And thanks again for joining us on Dilly First United Methodist Church podcast. Blessings.